And welcome to Zoom with Zardy. My name is Dustin Zardy, Democratic Elections Commissioner for Onondaga County. And welcome to my interview show. I've been a little haphazard with these uh, in the post-election uh, breakdown. Uh, I think this is only my second one since the election, but we'll start going weekly now that we are starting to see the end of the 2022 general election. Uh, and why do I say that? Well, earlier this week, uh, we finished the hand count for SD50 in Onondaga County, and so did us, Wego. We both finished on Tuesday. Uh, and after the hand counts, both candidates picked up votes, but Rebecca Sheriff picked up about eight more votes than John Mannion picked up, which shrunk the lead that from uh, from the post-election canvas from 55 to 47. So now John Mannion is in the lead by 47 votes. However, this election is not quite over. We have to go in front of Judge Del Conte of the Supreme Court, which uh, um, to be to rule on about 185 or so objected to ballots between the two counties, uh, and these are ballots objected to by either side. Um, I don't have the numbers for Oswego County in terms of. Uh, you know, party breakdown, I can tell you in uh, Onondaga County, we had about 100 objected to ballots, 74 by the Republicans, uh, and uh, uh, another uh, 24 by the, the Democrats, and 11 of them were both parties objected to it. So uh, that, you know, that is, uh, we're going to go through those ballots one by one in front of Judge Del Conte. And we just received news this afternoon that uh, that court uh, proceeding will start at 10 a.m. on Wednesday. Uh, so Wednesday of next week through Friday, uh, the, the court reserved Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We may get through it in a day. We may get we may have to be there until Friday. Uh, but the court has reserved that and we will be prepared and ready to go Wednesday through Friday of next week. And then I've been saying the 15th, maybe it'll be the 16th, but I've been saying the 15th is when we're going to finally wrap up and recertify uh, this election. I think uh, it might be very close to that or on the 16th uh, or and the judge may withhold his rulings over the weekend. Uh, and and come back on Monday or Tuesday, but we are in the home stretch here. Uh, we kind of know when this is going to be resolved, and barring any appeals, um, this is uh, this election will be wrapped up. We are also then now starting to go into redistricting because we have new common council maps and new county ledge maps passed last year by the two bodies. We have to redistrict all of the different election districts. Uh, and come up with new maps. Uh, we can only do that after this election closed. So we'll be doing that over the next few weeks and hopefully by January 1st, have new maps for next year's elections uh, for all of the parties involved. Um, but that being said, please stay tuned for my interview with Susan Lerner of Common Cause New York. Susan has been a great friend of this pod, has been on several times. Uh, she's been an ally with me on independent redistricting. And we check in with her about how this last election uh, worked, what what were some of the things that she'd like to see improved in the, in the upcoming session, but also just uh, her thoughts on uh, this last election and the tenor and what it says about uh, all of, uh, you know, of our democracy here in New York and nationwide. So stick for that interview coming up right now and enjoy. Bye-bye.
And I'm back with my good friend, Susan Lerner. Susan, thanks so much uh, for coming back on Zoom and Zari. You're the executive director of Common Cause and uh, the leader of the Let New York Vote Coalition. And I can think of no other person to have on now that we're starting to wrap up this election and talk about uh, the future. Susan, you're a friend of the pod. Thanks for coming on uh, Zoom with Zarni again. Absolutely, Dustin. It's always my favorite thing to do is to talk nerdy election stuff That's with right. somebody who really knows what's going on. <laughs> well, and by want... the way, it's Common Cause New York. I don't Common want my Cause. national president right. to feel that I'm trying to take over. No, no. Common Cause New York. You're right. Uh, <laughs> so, Susan, let's talk. We just are now finally starting to wrap up the election. There's some hand counts going on, including in my county. But uh, and as we're speaking right now, Georgia is voting. This won't air till Thursday, but Georgia right. is voting right now. So we're starting to get to the end of the 2022 election cycle. And I just wanted to get your general thoughts about well, first what's of all, going on. As a voter, I can't tell you how happy I am to think about the end of the 2022 election cycle. Um, you know, the craziness around redistricting Throwing New York into two primaries, followed by a general election, just really, I think, kerfuffled the voters and wore them out in the same way that Georgia's voters are basically looking at the runoff and saying, oh, my God, I thought we did this already. Um, you know, we hear often from voters that there are just too many elections um, and that they don't receive enough information about them and when they're going to be, which is truly unfortunate. So that people either just kind of burn out on elections or get confused. But for me, the big thing about our election here in New York, even with the repetition and people being angry that there was so much going on, we geared up, you know, Common Cause helps to run the election protection program across the country. And here in New York, we run election protection with our coalition partners, placing monitors, nonpartisan monitors at polling places and helping to answer uh, the problems that come through the 1866 vote hotline. And this year we took special action, special precaution to train people on conflict avoidance, on how to recognize potentially volatile situations, how to uh, discourage people from uh, escalating a situation and what to do if things got out of hand. And I am happy to say that our concern about what could happen at polling places was over-preparation. We did not see substantial problems at all in New York. And we actually didn't see sub really substantial problems the way we feared across the country, which is good news, I think, for all of us. But we did have two unfortunate instances that, thank goodness, did not, weren't violent, didn't end up hurting anybody. But in New York City, in East Harlem, uh, one of the polling places for early voting was the target of a bomb threat. So that meant that the polling place, it, it was called in someplace first thing in the morning, 
Um, they had to close down. Everybody was evacuated. They had to search the building. They had to search the polling place. And everything was clean. Everything was fine. And people went back in. But there was at least a two-hour disruption of voting at that polling place. And then on election day, at a polling place in Clinton County, where the polling place was in a high school, somebody tripped the fire alarm some other location in the high school. So that meant all voting had to stop. Everybody had to pile out of the polling place, pile out of the high school. The firefighters, the police came, they searched everything. Everything was clean. Everything was fine. People went back in. Um, but it was very disappointing to see those sorts of just malicious interference with the process of voting. But those were really the only unusual things that we saw. Otherwise, there was nothing out of the ordinary. Yes, there were some poll workers who could have done a better job. Yes, there were some voters who were genuinely confused, um, but nothing out of the ordinary except for those two things. So what do you make of what the electorate told us this last election? Obviously, you know, going into a midterm of, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the president's party is supposed to lose everything. And though it looks like at, at this point, definitely all the races are called, Republicans have taken over the House of Representatives nationally. Just they, barely. But just barely. And they did not pick up the the massive wave of seats, they said. And it looks like it's quite possible that Democrats will add to their majority in the Senate. In the Senate. Um, and, and even in New York, we do, you know, New York is almost credited for making it possible that the House Republicans uh, took back because three seats in New York that people thought might afford, four seats in New York that people thought might go blue or should have gone blue went red, although a couple of them were red to begin with. But yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, but yet Zeldin was supposed to be Hochul. You know, I mean, all of these things that were coming out at the end and then Hochul won. It wasn't like by a lot, but I think when all the absentees are counted, we're going to see around a 7%, 8% vote. The Assembly lost a couple of seats, but not a lot, you know, and definitely not a lot in the midterm. And the Senate either retains a, may retain a veto-proof majority in, in, in New York. So what do you think the electorate is saying here? So I think that the United States is an inherently moderate, middle-of-the-road country. And what they are saying is we don't want crazy, to be blunt. That's what they're saying. Even the Republicans were saying, even Republican voters were saying, we don't want crazy. When you look at the people who were, you know, um, election, uh, you know, liars, basically, claiming that everybody should look back to 2020 and redo everything, the electorate rejected that. They said, we want a government that actually governs. We want to elect people who want to be in office for something other than a clown show, who actually want the job to do the job. That's how I read it. But here in New York, what happened for the last 12 years, actually the last 10 years, I have been trying to convince people but that the fact is, I've been 
I don't have to convince people. I've been trying to get them to understand that New York is a swing state for Congress. And the reason for that is that in the last redistricting cycle, in the 2011-2012 redistricting cycle, a special master drew the maps, which means that we had a relatively high percentage of swing districts compared to other states that were gerrymandered, either D or R, okay? Then again, on this cycle, and you know we can have choice words to say whether the master did a good enough job, whether it should have been a master, but it is what it is. Um, and the master again drew a map which had a significant number of competitive swings districts, more so than in most other states. So New York is a swing state for Congress. It will remain a swing state for Congress and not treating it as such shows by one side while the other side treats it as a swing state for Congress shows you the importance of New York in terms of the balance of power in a highly polarized political situation. I but, oh, yeah. Go but I was going to say that it's not the maps that led to the loss of those four competitive seats. It's the, some of those seats were actually drawn to be slightly more favorable to a Democratic candidate than the earlier district where you had Democratic incumbents who chose not to run for re-election. What you had were mediocre candidates who ran unexciting campaigns that sometimes echoed Republican talking points and absolutely no organized support from a Democratic Party level. I, and, I and that's going to end up with, you know, some situations where you have upsets. I, I think that's right. And I, I do think that we saw, especially locally here in Onondaga County, but we saw a lack of traditional field operations yeah. where they they relied more on television like it was the 1980s campaign 80s, which doesn't fly right and and i wonder how much though it, it, it's not the maps themselves that caused it but i do think the late timing of the maps well i think the general problem i mean what i said earlier which were people are tired yeah so if you're feeling like you're burnt out on elections you're tired of seeing the ads, you're tired of hearing the horse race, right? Which is not about how this is going to affect your life, but this one's ahead this week and that one said something nasty. So now she's ahead this week. The voters actually don't like that. The press likes that, but the voters actually, most voters don't. And so part of the problem was in a lot of places, people stayed home. There was enthusiasm on one side where they thought, oh, we have a chance to make some gains. And the other side was, I'm not getting mailers. I'm not, nobody's talking to me. This is the third damn election in a row. Clearly, this is not important. Uh, screw it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to vote. But what's really, I think, ironic about that is that as a consequence, we have situations, we have such close elections that we have to go to hand counts to figure out who the winner is that actually shows how important every single vote is. 
So if you're discouraging your voters and you're not encouraging them to come out by talking to them, by contacting them, they're going. Some people are going to stay home, and that's what happened. So we've talked about New York redistricting ad nauseum, and and we'll, <laughs> we'll be and talking. We'll be talking about it again when the assembly comes back with their maps, and oh, no. yeah. and, and and for those who don't remember, the Senate and congressional maps were were drawn by a special master, and the assembly was actually sent back to the redistricting commission, which surprisingly came out. With a draft map. Well, I mean, a draft map that is like three, two thirds or three quarters identical to what they'd done earlier that was rejected. Right. I mean, frankly, we're we're in the process of preparing to file an amicus brief uh, in the lawsuit that says that the assembly map should not be going back to the commission and the legislature. The assembly map should be drawn by a master. Yeah, and I, I I understand that position. I mean, it does it does look like with a unanimous IRC though it, it it looks like these are maps that might get enacted by the assembly and senate I, well I, remember I the if if you know the the process the since the judge opened this can of worms the legislature can send this map back again yeah. and say we don't like it okay and then the commission has to try again and then at the end of the day, the legislature draws the lines, which is why, frankly, we believe the assembly member said to the court, oh, please send the maps to be redrawn to the commission so that ultimately they're in the hands of the legislature, which is another one of the failings of this really faulty, deficient redistricting process that the former governor built into our constitution. Right. He wanted to take credit for it. Oh boy, he should get the credit for how bad it's been. And it, and it is in the Constitution, so it's going to be hard to change. But you and I have been working on a possible solution for that with the Syracuse redistricting, uh, and and that's the good. But the bad is also that we're now starting to see county maps being, you know, come under suit. We have the suit in Onondaga County, Broome County today. The judge threw out the maps in Broome County. Federal lawsuit is being drawn up in Monroe County because they can't uh, come up with a mask. And that's just news today. I mean, there's a Buffalo. Well, I, is going I don't down. see that as, I actually don't see that as a bad thing. Okay. No, no, there's, there's, yeah. there's been a big change in the law. The one thing that is the, the strongest aspect of the deficient constitutional change is a better set of redistricting map drawing criteria in the Constitution. And we worked with the legislature and the legislature passed a bill which Governor Hochul signed into law earlier this year, which said that those constitutional standards apply not only to drawing the congressional and state legislative lines, that they should apply at the county level as well. So this is the first time the counties have actually had to do things like equal population, respecting the rights of voting minorities, of uh, respecting communities of interest, um, compactness uh, requirements, things that make a lot of sense. And there are some counties that have just been used to gerrymandering, and that's when the maps are going to be attacked. 
And, you know, this is a lesson for the counties. The, this law will apply and it's better for the voters. We will get better maps at the end, but it is a hell of a lot of litigation around redistricting. And it's it feels like redistricting is never going to end in our state. That That's right. I mean, I, I feel that way as someone who's getting ready to redraw lines uh, again uh, for the second year in a row and to draw election district lines because we have now the county ledge and Syracuse County Council maps that I have to draw for despite this ongoing litigation because more than likely this litigation will go on that that, right. the, that the county ledge maps that are in place now will have at least one election on it. Uh, you know, but then I'm going to have to draw assembly lines next year. And, and it just is, it maybe by 2024 we'll be done. With the right. But I have to tell you, the voters are incredibly confused. I have friends yes. who I think of as really clued into things. And they kept saying to me, I don't understand why my polling place has changed. I don't understand. I was like, you're not in the same assembly district anymore. The lines have been drawn and you're in a different assembly district. So yes, you're going to have a different polling place than you had previously. It's it's all very confusing to the voters without a doubt. But I do want to emphasize the fact that you're not going to have to redraw the Syracuse Common Council lines because Syracuse did it right. Syracuse, as you and I have talked about many times, had a a citizen-led redistricting process where concerned Syracuse residents took their responsibilities amazingly seriously, <coughs> listened to people from across the city, and drew their lines that ultimately got adopted by the Common Council. And they're not the subject of litigation. They've been explained to the public. They're reflective of people's concerns, and they work. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm one of the proudest things of my professional life is is the Syracuse Common Council Independent Redistricting, which will is part of the charter, so we'll go on forever here. Uh, you know, and 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 it's uh, it, it worked incredibly well. And yeah. while birthing the baby was hard, uh, especially <laughs> that last push to get those maps through the Common Council, a five four vote uh, got it through because. Five of the common councilors kept their promise to the citizens of Syracuse, and yeah. uh, that's that's still something that uh, you know will will live on and and hopefully be an example for other parts of the state. We really, it really should be a model. I know you know there's a litigation going on in Buffalo. There's a court hearing tomorrow, but the people who are you know concerned that the Buffalo redistricting process really didn't work even the way it should, which wasn't so great to begin with, um, are seriously looking at the Syracuse model. And people in Buffalo are debating whether they could actually bring this to the ballot because they do have the ability to place an initiative on the ballot in Syracuse directly. In, in Buffalo, Buffalo, rather, directly. Yeah. That's a powerful... That's a powerful, that's a powerful tool. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, it yeah. just... I just, the question to me really is how do we, it's hard enough getting people focused. And when people feel things go on too long and it's confusing, keeping them engaged 
you know, in a civic sense, with voting, with the redistricting process, just becomes harder. Yeah, it it, it is. And I do think that that we saw in 2021, this kind of uh, just a stepping back from the activity that we saw. And in 2022, we saw them coming back a little bit, not as much as in 2018, but enough. Um, so the question is, what happens in 2023? What happens in 2024? Uh, well, 2023, <laughs> you know, aside from an errant redistricting propelled city council election in New York City, ought to be a rest, isn't it, in most places? No, well, I mean, no, because we have our local races up. Oh, like in in 2023, uh, we will have, uh, um, you know, county legislative races are up in most counties, uh, city councils, town boards. Uh, well, you know. that's an interesting question, Dustin, right? Yeah. Should they be consolidated? That is an interesting question, at least some of them. I, I get a little worried about I, when that bill started coming up, and I think the Republicans... Uh, you know, we're like way overboard on their uh, fear of that, which maybe makes me think maybe I should be for it more than I am. <laughs> because no, no. They, Come on, uh, we're common cause is nonpartisan. That's right. No, you are. <laughs> I I don't have to be. Uh, I, I, but uh, but but well, you know they don't want people participating, and I'm for people participating. So yeah. who's that? But um, uh, the. I do get worried about ballot length. I get worried about ballot drop off. You know, yeah. you go to multiple page ballots, people stop filling out. On single page ballots, they stop filling out. If they have like, you know, 20 more uh, things to choose from, who's on the back of the ballot makes a big difference. I know, but, but yeah. what, I mean, talk about the drop off. Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, New York City, I think, is an extreme example, right? right. I'm a New York City resident. And the drop-off there, I mean, we have city primaries where like 9% of the voters vote. No, no, so if you have, you know, a presidential year turnout and you lose, I don't know, 20, 30% of the right. people voting, you still have a huge number of more people voting in the local races than you I, would otherwise. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but so that kind of leads into... You know, that's one election for reform that has been out there, but uh, you're part of the Let New York Coalition. Uh, we're we're uh, uh, talking in December, in January, the next session opens yep. up with, again, Democrats have um, full control of state government and Democrats have historically been more open to election reform than right. uh, than their, their uh, counterparts. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of election reform. I mean, I don't, I, I forgot the number, but there's so many chapters since 2019 that have been passed and signed into law. It makes our, you know, almost as soon as our election law books are printed, they're obsolete. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, what what are some of the, uh, you know, what are some of the things that the Let New York Vote Coalition is going to be looking to so, prioritize this year? So some of them are big and some of them are smaller. There's one that's fairly technical, but I think could be really big. In the sense that, and this is actually, it's a common cause bill, but it's also a let New York vote priority. And that is controlling, simplifying and clarifying the way in which 
ballot measures are carried on the ballot. Plain language for ballot measures so that it's a 75 word limit. It's a no more complicated than an eighth grade reading level. It's a yes, no proposition presented to the voters. So that if you haven't had a chance to do your homework, you are in the polling place, you flip the ballot, you read it, you actually could understand what you're being asked to vote on. Because and 99 times out of 100, you need a graduate degree, right. preferably a law degree, to understand what it is that you're being asked to vote on. Um, and I think this is very non-controversial. You know, it's got to pass the legislature, but let's remember, it's the legislature in our state that puts measures on the ballot. So they only put measures on the ballot they want to have passed. And it's very hard to get people to vote for things that they can't understand. So I think this has a very good chance of becoming law in the next year. And since we have the possibility of some pretty important ballot measures having to do with reprodu reproductive justice and other issues which are under consideration for second passage, having the voters understand what they're voting on is pretty important. We're also interested in setting a uniform standard for actually having people who are stuck in jail, right? Not imprisoned people, not people who've been found guilty of any crime, but the people who are in local jails who are have the right to vote, setting up a procedure where they actually would be able to vote. Um, we've got, we want to clarify the information which SUNY and CUNY provides uh, to its students regarding voting, um, because that's a really important constituency. And you know, one of the things we didn't talk about, and this happened nationwide, is the incredible turnout of young voters yes. for this election, right? right. Um, really, really significant in a lot of states. I haven't seen the figures for our state. I don't know that it necessarily was a big bump up, but it definitely was in a lot of important races. And the thing that we know is that once, if you get somebody who starts to vote when they're young, they will be lifelong voters. So providing more information to SUNY and CUNY students is absolutely important. And then we've got a priority issue where we're concerned about the voting machines to be sure that they are sufficiently reliable, they're sufficiently efficient and not overly expensive, and that we have, that the voter is in control of their own ballot, that there isn't a machine that's really in control of the ballot. Yeah, no, those are all priorities that I think, uh, you know, most most people on the voting rights coalition abroad uh, yeah. are going to agree on. You know, there may be devil in the details that we have to figure out, uh, but uh, those are those are great, uh, you know, priorities. My caucus uh, is meeting later this week, or, mm -hmm. yeah, this week, and and we're gonna uh, iron out some proposals that we're gonna bring to the New York State Elections Commission. Oh, um, you know, and and. And some of them the Republicans will agree with and some not, and then we'll just have our bipartisan goals and then uh, the Democratic goals. So I hope to 
have news on that later in the you know right. in, in the month. Um, but, uh, so, you know, I mean, some of the things that I, I you know, I'm in this hand count now, um, right. we're, we're, we're fixing up. I do think we need to, in, in an era of close elections, the hand counts are great because it is a great tool for saying, we know who won this election. Here's yeah. how we can prove it. Uh, I do think though, we need to. The law was passed as part of a budget amendment in 2021. There wasn't a lot of teeth to the law. There wasn't mm -hmm. a lot of process to the law. And we're now in, in place now with two years of in place. We need to figure out an order for these hand counts. Right now, we know we have to have a hand count, but we don't know whether it comes before certification or after certification. Right. I prefer after because uh, certification helps solve a lot of questions that you need going into a hand count. We don't know whether um, objections are allowed or not allowed. You know, we're assuming they're allowed because it's not not allowed, you know, but <laughs> but now we have a different process for absentees as we do for, um, uh, you know, hand count. And of course the lawsuit for absentees is still going on. So we don't know what that's right. gonna, what that's gonna bring. So, you know, there's still a lot of questions out there that need to be, resolved before our next right. presidential election where well, one of yeah. one of the things that I, I think needs to happen <coughs> is that we need to extend the definition of temporary illness in the law i think frankly it should be permanent yeah. you know it seems as if covid is with us forever now and there remain people who are very vulnerable who need to take precautions and you know having and and we've been facing a polio outbreak we've been facing a measles outbreak at various times it seems like this is a bit precarious in terms of you know health issues and so making that definition permanent makes a lot of sense to me because it is for the legislature to interpret the constitution that's what a statute does right. so it's appropriate for the legislature to interpret what illness means for our absentee balloting process so i'm hopeful we'll get that done but you know what we haven't talked about dustin yeah we haven't talked about the fact that there are going to be some, I think, budget needs. Oh, definitely. Some around yeah. elections, okay? We've got the new Voting Rights Act, which is really spectacular, but it requires the uh, AG to set up a whole new division to look at all of the changes that take place around elections to pre-clear them. <coughs> um, we've got... And now, which I think is terrific, that SUNY will be required to run a database of basic information like all of the redistricting, right? All of all of those things are now going to be captured in a archive which SUNY, a center, a data center which SUNY maintains. It's going to take some funding to set that up. Plus, frankly, we at Let New York Vote and Common Cause New York believe that the state should be providing a baseline of support to the counties just to pay for basic elections. Oh, well, and you're here on all of that. I mean, like, <laughs> I, you know, and we, we need less of a reliance on county governments and more 
of a partnership with state governments because yeah. how many things on the ballot are not just county or you know state supreme courts go over six counties um assembly and senate are almost always crossing some kind of county line uh you know uh it, 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 it's uh and of course all the statewide offices that's this year and most of the ballot were races that you know New York State Board ends up calling because they cross these yeah. lines and yet the sometimes the state government is like well you know we're not going to pay for this. but you know New York is an outlier on that yeah because I looked into it it when I realized when we were talking in early voting back in 2017 and 18 and you know I was hearing oh early voting would be an unfunded mandate so I started looking into what other states do in terms of covering the cost of elections. There are some states that cover 100% of the cost of any state election. Um, and then there are other states who provide a baseline amount of funding to help the counties. New York doesn't provide anything on a regular basis. And that's an outlier actually in our system. Most states figure out some way, if not to pay entirely, then to help. And that ought to change. Because I am sympathetic to the argument that our state has many too many unfunded mandates that the legislature is happy to pass. And frankly, often I'm happy to see them pass it, but then they don't provide the counties with the funding that they need. Yeah, and you know, going back to your your, your view on the uh, um, the temporary illness, and I, it's a view I agree with, but I don't think I'm not so sure the courts are going to agree because, as we saw with the absentee lawsuit, in many ways they were basically saying, "Well, we're not going to address that because it ends at the end of this year, and we'll see if they they extend it." But I think I, I also think that that's just. I, I also think that we need to be bold and brave and retackle the no-fault absentee and 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 get that process started. It won't be in place for the next presidential election. No. But if we want it in place for the presidential election after that or the midterm after that, we gotta we gotta get this right, but I'll tell you as somebody who, you know, supported Yep. those measures and who actually formed a political committee, which had virtually no money yeah. to <laughs> go up against $3 million of misinformation. Um, we have to be strategic and, you know, not rush it through. And one of the reasons that it failed in addition to $3 million of misinformation was that it was a low turnout election and the people who would, have normally voted for it, didn't have anything else to vote for, and they didn't come out to vote. So what election, you know, this the measure should be on an election that has a substantial turnout so that enough people, you know, go yes or no. I obviously feel they should, they would, they should vote for it, yes. I mean, we endorsed them. We formed a political action committee and supported them to the extent that we could. Um, but I think just saying, oh, well, we'll just put it on the ballot as soon as we can may not be the best uh, tactic to use in this situation. But that's also back to what do we have a political party for? Right. Right. Who is supporting it? Are we, you know, um, 
and that, you know, the problems with the congressional race, the problem with the indifference, the people, you know, felt like nobody was reaching out to them. There wasn't, you know, a, a campaign to try and organize people. And I believe that is what a political party is for, not to aggregate money for incumbents, but to organize like-minded people to have their political views heard at the ballot box. And if a party isn't doing that, why do we have it? I agree with that. Uh, and, and, and the failures of the last constitutional amendments and the hubris of all of us really was thinking that the public is never going to vote against it and we didn't right. defend it uh, enough until it was too late and it got lumped in with the redistricting, which was uh, a victim of misinformation as well and ends up really proving right that, uh, yeah. that uh, you know, that, uh, that the Republicans were planning to sabotage the IRC and did and, uh, and got their way. But, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about legislation, but there are some changes to the New York electorate that are already coming next year that yes. I'm pretty excited about. Uh, we saw that earlier this week, Wrong Church was signed. Uh, so that's changes to the affidavits. We're expecting uh, the 10-day uh, absentee to be signed. And AVR and online voter registration are set are up. On, on their way, yeah. For, and they're supposed to be implemented next year. Unless it gets delayed again, but it, 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 it's supposed to be implemented next year. Um, these are major changes to registration that I don't think people, you know, again, you go back to what you're saying about like, you know, sometimes minor bills have major impacts. These are, well, major, these are major bills. And these major are major bills <laughs> with major impact here um, that are going to have a direct effect on voter rolls. It's going to have a direct effect on voting populations. It's going to, uh, you know, cause us to have to change a lot of what we do. Um, but nobody's been talking about it because, you know, nobody really- Because it passed them two years ago, three right. years ago, right. Yeah. So, but well, here's the thing. I think it's, they are so important. And I, a lot of it at this point is implementation, <coughs> which is hard for people to focus on. When they actually go live, they're going to have a really significant impact. Right, we assess perhaps as many as a million new voters placed on the voter rolls through automatic voter registration. And the convenience of, of having true online voter registration. I think we're gonna see a big uptick in voter registration. And then it's going to really emphasize, again, how we can't rely just on registration. We also have to help voters get to the polls. Yeah, uh, we, get, we if they get registered, we got to give them information, especially if they're a low, uh, if they haven't been registered before, which is what yeah. automatic voter registration does, they're probably a first time or a low information voter. And they're yeah. going to need some voter uh, uh, education to get them to the correct polling place and also become a voter every year. So, you know, and that leads to an interesting discussion. Whose responsibility is that in the current system? We rely on candidates and on the political parties. I think there's an argument to be made that there should be much more of a investment in voter education and civic engagement statewide. Don't complain I, that people aren't that. showing up to vote. Help them understand why they need to come out and vote. 
Yeah, one of my sneaky uh, proposals that I don't think I'll ever get passed is I've I've wanted to get rid of the petition process and turn it into a filing fee process. Yes. Uh, and then yes. use the filing fees as uh, social media money to promote voting. <laughs> like, like that, I love that. I'm, I'm totally in favor. I, I'll never get that passed. But not I, not through the current legislature. Not, not through the current legislature. <laughs> but I I hate petitions and I love voter education. So I want to put them together and have yeah. getting rid of one thing become why I get money to do other things. So <laughs> I've been pushing it. We'll see. I'm, I'm young. I'm relatively young. I, I, <laughs> I, I live to get early voting through. Maybe we'll get that through. Someday. Early voting and fair redistricting. That's so right. now we have a new goal. Yeah, we, yeah, now, we have again, to have a windmill to tip at here. <laughs> yeah, well, again, New York is an outlier on this. We yeah. There aren't that many other states that have this onerous petition process. True. Well, Susan, we're getting towards the end. It's been a long conversation because I can always talk to you forever. <laughs> I, I, I always, uh, you know, and we'll check in a couple more times uh, this yeah. year, in 2023, I'm sure. Um, but uh, uh, what are, you know, I always like to end the podcast with what haven't we talked about that you want to highlight or, you know, a goal, so, so, something you want the voters to remember what would you like uh, to close out with? Well, I would like to close out with just remember how valuable your vote is. When you look at these tight races that have the hand counts, don't ever think that your vote doesn't really have value. It really, really does. You know, and we haven't, but we also haven't talked about risk-limiting audits, but that's a whole other program. Yes, that will take up another 30 to 40 minutes just to explain what a risk limiting product <laughs> is. But uh, we'll do that, I'm sure, at some point. Yeah. <laughs> well, Susan, thank you so much for coming on with Sue Zarni. It's been a pleasure to have you again. And thank you for the work that you do on behalf of voters uh, statewide. Um, and, uh, and, and we don't always agree, but we always agree we're on the right path together. And I always appreciate that. Absolutely. Same here, Dustin. Thanks for having me. You know, I will come on and yammer on anytime. Well, I, I, that's what this podcast is built on. So, <laughs> <laughs> And that was my interview with Susan Lerner of Common Cause New York. Uh, always a great interview and a wonderful guest. Uh, next week on Zoom with Zarmi, well, next week I'll be doing Commissioner Carr on Tuesday, and that'll be the uh, uh, the pre-election Commissioner in the Car, or pre-court Commissioner in the Car, now that a we know what that is. When the court dates are going to start on Wednesday. Well, uh, it'll be a court preview of about what's going to happen in the SD50 race. And then on Thursday, I will have a Zoom with Sarni with Perry Grossman, uh, New York Civil Liberties Union, uh, uh, head of their uh, democracy project. He's a, uh, been a great friend of the pod and a great friend of voters in New York. We're going to talk about some of the litigation that happened this year and some of the things that he wants to see in the New York State Legislature to take up in elections uh, in 2023. And then uh, finally this weekend, I hope to restart my weekly walk, my uh, look at uh, you know election statistics. I'm gonna be starting with early voting uh, and I hope to have that done uh, and, and restart my weekly walk series. Looking back at this uh, final general election and moving on into next year. So, all of that being said, I'm really happy uh, that with this with this program here today, and I, and I hope uh, you have a wonderful holiday season, and look forward to next week, finally ending uh, general election 22.
Bye-bye.